this episode involves, uh, we should probably preface this by saying that this episode involves a lot of really grisly sexual murders, right? This guy is a yeah, and yeah. murderer. And so that's not cool and it's not funny. But I will say that when I saw the kitchen, I was like, I really hope whoever lives in, whoever lives in this house and, like, cooks in this kitchen uh, dies. Hey, everybody. It's us again. Once again, I'm Chanel. And once again, I'm Harry. You can find us on the internet at unsubpod on Twitter. And also individually, I'm at muffmacguff on Twitter. And I'm at Chanel Dubofsky on Twitter. That's us. And this week we watched uh, season one, episode four of Criminal Minds, entitled Plain Sight. On uh, this week's episode, a killer of women is on the loose in San Diego. So the whole gang flies into town to try to figure out what the deal is with this killer, how they have access to these houses, and look at some CGI birds for a while. Oh, and yes. they also spend a lot of time uh, dealing with a uh, 17th century ballad that, that figures prominently into our story. So if I remember correctly, Chanel, you said that this episode was one of your faves. Is that right? Or at least it is like one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I have to admit. Okay, I have some issues with this episode, but I think pretty unquestionably, it's the best one so far. Mm. I, I absolutely mm. liked it more than any of the previous three. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I understand. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, well, we'll get into like why. You- why you liked it. But yeah, it is, it is one of my uh, enduring favorites. It's for a lot of reasons that we'll, we'll get into, but I, for me, it's like the perfect like criminal minds cocktail, if you will, of like, we have some character development. We have like a ridiculously remorseless unsub. Um, and like, I like a lot when those two things are together as opposed to like a lot of other episodes where it's one or the other. Um, and I think it's like, Funnier, and it leaves us a little bit of um, will they or won't they at the end, which I enjoy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that we'll get into as well. Yeah, I totally agree. So, I actually think this episode did a really good job of mixing character stuff with the, from the gang with uh, a really compelling and frightening uh, murder mystery. And it really was like a pretty solid mystery. It didn't. It, it felt like I, I, Gideon spends a lot of the episode, I mean, like usual, I guess, but he spends a lot of the episode trying to figure out what it is he's missing. And uh, I think yeah. the audience is sort of doing the same. Uh, so I, I, I thought it was a, a compelling story at the very least. Yeah. Um, Great. So we start off in uh, the city of San Diego, which, um, as I'm sure we both know, uh, is kind of a miserable miserable place to be. I don't know. Have you spent much time in San Diego, Chanel? I've never been to San Diego. But this episode okay. leads me to believe that it is a beautiful place full of murder. Well, yes. I think oh. I think that's probably the case. Um, <laughs> but there's one really solid vegan place in San Diego. I don't remember what it's called, even a little bit. But it's got some, like, really, like, gross, greasy vegan fast food. I, I that's, Anytime I've gone to San Diego, I've made it a point to eat there. Um, I really like it there a lot. Huh. Um, and so Good. we start out with uh, this CGI bird flying through a neighborhood, right, um, which mm-hmm. we'll figure in later. I, I spent a lot of time wondering what the deal was with this bird, <laughs> um, but it, it pops up a little bit later. Uh, this lady is, like, exercising. She's doing um, step aerobics, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, like, there's a list that I keep in my head of, like, things to be afraid of. And yes. so... Uh, in real life or on the show? On the show. Like, things that this show has reminded me that I actually should be afraid of. And so now we can add, like, step aerobics. Um, Aretha Franklin, I don't know if this particular song. But I, I, I'm not sure this show is entirely instructive on what things we should be afraid of in the real world. Why, whatever do you mean? Okay. Right. Um, well, this, this episode in particular, um, we've got this, right, happy tableau of this woman doing step aerobics uh, in a mm-hmm. sunny San Diego neighborhood, and an intruder enters through the window. 
Um, and this, we're like barely a, a second into the episode, so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to say that I really, really hated this ki- the kitchen in this household. Um, like, oh, interesting. I, I, it had like three different kinds of coffee makers, which I found pretty obnoxious. <laughs> and the sink was straight up just left on. Someone left the water running. Like, I hated this kitchen. And I, I, we see another kitchen later that I really like. So I'm not, I'm not strictly anti-kitchen. Okay. Um, okay. Just, yeah. Good. Right. Good to know. Right. Huh. Okay, okay. So then, right. So we're, we, we're in the bedroom. She gets attacked. And then we're, we go to the, uh, the cops in the bedroom. And the cops uh, are like, we can't, we can't do this. This is too hard for us. We're yeah. just cops. What do you want from us? This episode is, like, really down on San Diego PD. <laughs> they, it really is. It really poorly is. This whole episode. And I appreciated that. I'm not, I wouldn't describe, would you describe yourself as a fan of the FBI in, in your life? Be honest. No. Like, no, only this FBI. Only, like, these people <laughs> am I a fan of. Yeah. Right. I, I, too, would not consider myself a fan of the FBI. But, like, I like that this show seems to have some real disdain for the police. I uh yeah I share that thing. Yeah, they can't do anything. Yep. Yeah, and there's so there's like right a note on the mirror in lipstick and like a lot of shots that I think ultimately felt pretty gratuitous of the dead naked woman. Yeah, yeah. We spend a lot of time with dead naked woman on the bed, photos of dead naked woman on the bed, and flashbacks of dead na- naked woman on the bed. Right. Um, Let's you be confused. Right. Yeah. Right. right. I think this, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say, like, oh, this show is complicated, because in a lot of ways it's not complicated, but um, I think it is interesting the relationship that, like, the, sh- the writers have to, like, um, I don't know, just, like, this, like, the horribleness of the crime and also, like, recognizing that the crime is horrible and, like, having to sort of do this, like, procedural thing and also, like, misogyny and all this stuff like for me it's just like I just think about that a lot and then I'm like but why do I like this show and like then it's like all right <laughs> I don't know I just like it whatever anyway that's what I think about literally every time I watch this show is like misogyny murder cops and I still like it and it's just a, yeah anyway yeah I think that's something that we're going to be struggling with for the next 200 some episodes yes I Yes. Which will be, if we keep at it, at least four years of us recording this podcast. Four years, you guys. Okay, so we, uh, we're at the BAU, and it's Reed's birthday. Yep. And this Yay! birthday party is a mess. <laughs> it's uh, a mess. That's exactly what it, it is. It is a mess. Um, Reed's yeah. two mothers, JJ and L, have uh, given him mm-hmm. a, a, a ridiculous birthday hat. Um, which I've never in my life experienced a birthday hat like that. I guess maybe mm-hmm. when I was like a little yeah. kid and there was like those cones that you put on your head, but this is like mm. like one of those full on Dr. Seuss hats that you'd get at a party store. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and there's like trick candles on the cake, and it's really which like Reed cannot. Like, he does not get the concept of trick candles. Right? Why doesn't he understand it? He's a genius, I, and it takes I, forever to figure out what's going on. And they say Reed. These are trick candles, and he's like, I'm going to blow it out. I'm going to get it. Don't worry. I'm just going to do it. You guys relax. I got it. Yeah, and, like, JJ in her, like, very uh, early 2000s wrap dress and her, like, super blonde hair. And Morgan says something gross. Like, he calls JJ mommy. Like, Reed thinks she's his mother, and I'm just like, ugh, stop. You're gross. Dude. Yeah. This this episode really dives into the – weird Reed Morgan dynamic. Like I I think Morgan treats Reed like Reed is his unwanted stepson. Like Morgan just married totally. his mom and now he's got to deal with this fucking nerd. Yep. Yeah. Like um yeah. like on Freaks and Geeks. It's like Reed mm-hmm. is Bill and Morgan is the gym teacher, if I'm remembering this right. You think yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. like that. It's like, it's true. It's kind of true. But there's also um, this, like, yeah, there's also this, um, oh, no, a lot of, like, later character development in this in this episode. Um, Reed says something about how, oh, right, so so Hotch says to 
Reed. Oh no, no, sorry, I'm, I'm misremembering. It's um, Gideon and Reed, and Gideon's like, "Are you having fun?" And Reed says, "Definitely, I'm definitely having fun." And then they have a discussion about whether or not he can take the hat off, and Gideon's like, right. "Don't take the hat off, dude." Um, but then yeah. JJ says something like, "She like calls him to get the cake," and she says, "Spence." And then Reed says, "She's the only person in the whole world who's ever called him Spence," which is like, right. it's kind of a moment. I thought. Uh, well, she also, yeah. I, I think throughout the episode, JJ calls people by their first name instead of their last name. And she's like the only one of them that does that. So well, that's interesting. I observation. Right. Um, she, yeah. I think she huh. does it again later, but I don't remember. I, I had it in my notes somewhere, I think. Well, I guess we'll see. Oh, she she calls Garcia Penelope. Um, JJ. Oh, Yeah. Then uh, uh, Hotch gets a phone call, right? And he's like, all right, party's over. This was a terrible party, and now it's over at last. Yeah. <laughs> so far. Um, because the, they have to fly to San Diego to deal with the Tommy killer. The Tommy killer, yeah. Oh, um, and yep. they, okay. He's, so he's called the Tommy killer because he glues his victim's eyes open which mm-hmm. I don't remember that being a part of Tommy. I remember, like, Tommy certainly has open eyes as, like, a theme in it. But, like, anyway. Um, Reed says, of the open eyes, he says, he wants them to see him. And Gideon goes, uh-huh. and feel him. And it's like, all right. It's so gross. We know you're 100 years old, and we know that this is the Tommy killer. You don't need to quote Tommy. We're all, we all get it. Congratulations for being the only... Uh, FBI agent actually enjoying Woodstock or whatever it is, but like oh damn, like, I didn't even catch that. that uh, this whole time I just like getting to be super gross. Well, I think it is still pretty gross, but maybe it's a little less <laughs> right. gross as as it's a relevant quote. Um, which, by the way, this is maybe the most quote heavy episode since the pilot. Yeah, um, I have a list here of the quotes that happen. There's two of them. I have three. Ooh la la. What do you have? Let's, let's okay. do it. Uh, I have the French poet Jacques Rigaud. Uh, yeah. Don't forget that I cannot, okay, yeah, I cannot see myself, that my role is limited to being the one who looks in the mirror. Right. Uh, and then there's one. Oh, and then Rose Kennedy. Birds yes. sing after a storm. Why shouldn't people feel as free to delight in whatever sunlight remains to them? Right. Which uh, I think okay. is the first evidence of a woman being quoted so far. Oh, my God. I bet you're exactly right. I, I think that's dead on. Oh, good point. Um, the other quote, to my recollection, is kind of a, uh, like a, a, a stealth quote. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, Gideon and... Uh, and L are in the car together. Um, he quotes Orson Welles, um, but it's, it's sort of all over the place because he says, um, "Like Orson Welles once said," and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quoting because I didn't take note, take an exact note on, it, but I'm paraphrasing because he's like Orson Welles once said that male birds are more colorful because men always have to impress women, something like that. But then, like, oh, when he okay. finishes the quote, he keeps, like, elaborating on it. And by the time Elle's phone starts ringing, if she answers her phone, Gideon is just looking at himself in the side view mirror going, Mama, Mama, Mama. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's a lot of moments in this episode of people just, like, losing their goddamn minds. I think it's a San Diego thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Right. All right. Maybe, maybe. So they're on, when they were on the airplane, I've started, because of, you know, you, I've started looking at what <laughs> people do on the airplane. Um, mm-hmm. And on the ride over to San Diego, I think this was Gideon, maybe it was Hodge, but I believe Gideon is just sketching eyeballs on a notepad. Yeah, I think that's what he was doing, because that's normal, you know. Why is that part you. of the investigation? <laughs> I mean, there are some questions you just don't ask because Gideon needs to sketch eyeballs and he's smarter than you. That's and true. Me. You're absolutely right. And I, right. I'm not as so. smart as Gideon, so I don't know why you would need to sketch eyeballs. You're, that's a great point. Right. 
Um, so they're, uh, they're like on the plane and they're like, oh, the thing on the mirror was these words. And they, they read like 10 words and immediately read is like, oh, that's a 17th century ballad. Of course. Um, and L says, what kind of person knows this ballad? And nobody says the obvious, which is Reed does. Maybe Reed is a serial killer. Right. Um, but Reed deflects really quickly and says, anybody with an internet connection. And he uh, yes. you, he says, you should type death into a search engine. And then, and then L says, which is like a pretty intense burn, I feel. Mm-hmm. Reed, no wonder you can't get a date. Yup. Because he knows kind of century poetry. Yeah, which is kind of kind of really really mean. Especially since it's worth remembering that they just interrupted his birthday party to fly to San Diego. They did. They did. And yeah. Now they're being assholes to him about not being able to get a date because of knowing ballads, I guess. They're they get to San Diego. And then immediately we start following another attack, right? A woman is uh, picking lemons in her garden. Oh, yes. When she's picking the lemons, I never thought about this before. I recently just started aggressively watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And one of the things about Yolanda Foster is that she has, like, millions of lemons. And this woman was picking her lemons that I thought of Yolanda Foster. And that's it. But, like, suddenly... It all well, this started will, to come together. Picking lemons seems to be a real housewife thing, right? All of these victims are housewives. Yeah. And so they go to the police station, and uh, a couple of them start talking to the San Diego cops. But Gideon just walks right past everybody and starts staring at the cop's corkboard and then just loses his mind and uh, starts, like, staring at the pictures and hearing audio from all the victims that he's just making up. It's not actual sounds. He's, like, hearing their, like, conversations and stuff like that. And it's, like, yeah, it's, weird. Guys, it's, it's creepy. Just... I guess it's um, supposed to. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm, like, making this up or not. But I guess, like, when I thought of that, when I heard him do that, I thought of, like, oh, he's still, like, really fucked up. Like, you know, he hasn't – either this is, like, just how Gideon, Gideon's brain works and this is, like – Yes. something that they're trying to, like, show us, or, like, he's still really fucked up from Boston, um, which I guess either right. could be true and it doesn't really matter, but it was just something I, on this, on this watch around, I noticed that that was a thing, so. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. So they're looking at the, uh, at the cork board with all the quotes from the poems, and, uh, or for the one poem, it's just this one poem, right? And uh, I believe it's L who's, like, uh, this is pretty creepy, huh? And Reed goes, actually, it's not that creepy because the poem is, uh, a, you know, a person talking to death, and that was pretty common back then. But he doesn't really acknowledge that. I think she wasn't saying the text of the poem is creepy, but rather it is creepy that a guy is murdering and raping women and leaving poetry on their mirrors or whatever. Yeah. Which, right. you know, I think it is creepy. Without without any mm-hmm. literary judgment involved. Yeah, I mean, this is just like all like Reed is super literal, yeah. um, which is yeah, one of the more really annoying qualities. Yeah. People give Reed a very hard time this episode, but also I don't care for Reed on this episode. He this is a mess. Mm-hmm. Basically, every situation that arises on this episode, he says something ridiculous and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's that's what happens when you're a 24 year old genius. Whose birthday party right. was ruined by a serial killer in San Diego? <laughs> it's probably not even the first time that's happened, which is just really so sad right. if you read. I wonder, well, I mean, I think if we use Garcia as, you know, obviously we're, she's going to show up soon, but if we use mm-hmm. Garcia as a model, she seems to be on the clock 24-7, and it seems like probably that's the case for the rest of them, too. We haven't seen anybody's home wireless, the pilot. So I imagine that the right. birthday parties get interrupted by serial killers pretty regularly. Yeah, I don't think they haven't gotten into like what other than uh, other than the, the very the first uh, pilot the, the first the first episode we haven't gotten into their home lives at all. Um, 
but we, I think we will really soon. I'm just trying to remember like, what well, happens. Well, Hoss uh, is yeah. pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. A, yeah. A, a tiny Gideon. A tiny Gideon. A tiny Gideon fetus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the, they call the victims of these killings high-risk victims because they're affluent white people in an upper-middle-class, heavily-patrolled neighborhood. Oh, yes. I, I would not consider that a high-risk group. So I think, what they, I think what they mean is that it's high-risk for the killer. Right. I guess it's high-risk in this specific situation, right? Yeah. I think it's high-risk for the killer and low-risk for the victim, but I think also they're not consistent about, like, what they mean by high risk and low risk. And that's kind of annoying, but yeah. You know, like basically all crime procedurals, this is sort of an advertisement for more policing and uh, mm-hmm. more like private security. Yeah. And I feel like this episode more than most of them is like really emphasizing that, right? These are these people who think that they were safe by living in like this extremely fancy neighborhood where cops are driving through constantly but they were not safe yeah. because nope. someone let in a working class person. There are two attackers on this episode and both of them are like laborers who appear in the neighborhood occasionally to do their work. Um, yeah. There's some like interesting treatment, I think in this episode of both sex crimes and race. Uh-huh. Um Right, so this woman who is a, who gets attacked in her lemon in her kitchen or her lemon grove—I yeah. don't remember which one it is—says um, yeah. in her kitchen. Which, thinks, this, yeah. yeah, with her in the kitchen, in her non-offensive kitchen. Oh, I love this kitchen. I was really in. <laughs> and this person didn't die, so I mean, I think it says something about you're so right kitchens that we love, and also people who should die. So this woman is pretty sure that the person who attacked her is black. Yes. Well, her husband is sure. She her husband, her. right. Right. She does, there's some stuff that she doesn't, she's not sure of, but her husband is pretty sure that he's black. And Elle, who, um, very good consistency, uh, says she used to work sex crimes and this woman is surrounded by right. men. And so it might not be the best situation to get like anything, any like useful information out of her because if certainly she doesn't want to be around like a bunch of dudes. So Elle takes right. her to the side and talks to her. I was, I don't, I mean, I thought it was like pretty, um, pretty kind and like patient of her, or whatever, to say like, you know, I'm just, I'm just here, and like if you want to talk, if you remember anything, like you can say something. And she starts asking her questions, and then we find out that the guy had a ski mask on, so he couldn't be, we couldn't decide his race. Right. But he was black. But he was black, which is interesting. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I yeah. absolutely agree. Um, I think it's like, I, I'm not going to claim to be an expert or anything, but like the idea that this, uh, that it's like the one black guy who has ever entered the neighborhood for even a minute is uh, the attacker was a, a kind of frustrating idea. Yeah. Especially since, as they note on the show occasionally, but ultimately ignore, uh, cross-racial sexual assault is incredibly rare with incredibly rare people sexually assaulting Native American women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do wonder on the show, like, how much do they think that they can get away with because Morgan is black? Right. And how much do they think they can get away with because, yeah, yeah, because of Elle and JJ and Garcia, um, you know, how much do they, yeah. do they get away with because there's women on the show? Yeah. I mean, a lot of Elle's scenes on this episode dealing with sexual assault the way she does, it, like, it sort of makes you wish that, like, if the show leaned more toward her than the other characters, like, as someone, as someone who, like, seemed to be, like, very competent at dealing with victims in a way that basically nobody else was. When, when she says... uh but she points out that she's that this woman is surrounded by men. You know, it's like pretty. It's like duh. Of course, she doesn't want to talk when she's surrounded by men, right. and everybody else is kind of like, what? But why is that a problem? 
<laughs> right. I, I have no fucking clue what they're doing. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. They're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, is so, another of those moments where it's like, that feels pretty realistic to police departments. <laughs> they, like, local police are notoriously terrible at dealing with sex crimes. Mm-hmm. With the obvious exception of the law and order SVU. Right. Well, I mean, they're the exception to everything, including yeah. longevity on television. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, SVU. Sometimes I watch you, but not that much. Um, okay, so this, I guess this part of the the case gets resolved, right? Because we figure out that they're actually not connected, these two cases. Right. They, these are not the same case because they do uh, a lot of smart profiling stuff. And mm-hmm. they're like, uh, this guy is not that same guy, but if we uh, publicly arrest him, our actual killer is going to contact us because he hates the idea of someone else getting credit for his work. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to note really quickly when all of this is going down, um, so there's the, you know, the old woman uh, who was almost, who was like briefly attacked by the newspaper delivery guy or whatever. Um, And then nearby, Morgan and Gideon are going through the house of the woman that we saw killed at the beginning of the episode. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite beats of that scene is that Morgan walks into the terrible kitchen and sees that the microwave has just been left open and closes it. And I'm not sure if the microwave being left open was meant to be a clue or not, but to me it just felt like another example of how like poorly managed this kitchen is. I didn't notice that at all. That's great. I don't think it's supposed to be a thing, but, like, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, it's hard to close the microwave. It's hard to, yeah. like, just, yeah, it's just chaos. Yeah. Also, this episode features totally. a lot of footage of cops parking like assholes, which, uh, again, feels very realistic. <laughs> right. They They really pretty quickly figure out who it is that um, attacked this older woman and they like arrest him in front of news cameras and then set up a tip line with the plan being that the actual Tommy killer is going to call in the tip line to be like, you guys got the wrong guy. It's actually me. And then Garcia is going to use technology to figure out where the phone call is coming. Yes. In in another, yet another example of Garcia solves the case for everyone else. Yes. Absolutely. But not yet. But not, only, not only is she responsible for solving the case, they are on San Diego time, and she is at Quantico. So, like, they're, like, staying, she's literally staying up the entire night to do this. She is. They have, there's no labor what? rules in this episode. Well, does she, like, live? I'm, they, they describe her as being at Quantico, which, you know, I think to a degree mm-hmm. puts her rest my alternate bunker or airplane theories. But it doesn't answer the question of whether or not she lives in or at her uh, computer room. Because literally, she's there every single time they call, no matter what. Uh That will change. There are some scenes where she's not in the BAU. Because she's in Morgan's bed? (laughs) Speaking of, uh, I know this is not news to anybody, but Morgan uh-huh. is looking amazingly good in this episode. Amazingly good, yes. yes. He's a very attractive man in general. This episode, I spent a lot of it being like, Jesus, he looks really good. He's a I think it's true. fine specimen of a man. Uh, yeah, it's true. He, he looks good in the suit, but on this episode, he spends a lot of time wearing like those long sleeve V-neck shirts with no mm-hmm. underneath, and that's a really good look for basically anybody who's in shape, but in particular Shamar Moore. Yeah, well, you know Shamar Moore was once on The Young and the Restless for many years. Right. Yeah, that's where yeah. The, like those are the attractive people farm teams for regular television. <laughs> Eventually, if you're attractive enough, you get to move on to the majors. 
Yeah, it's true. And also, I think sometimes uh, it is notable when, like, you can tell that he has to do, like, soap opera acting. Yep. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but there are some times in the show where you're like, oh, yeah, like, those are clearly, like, Young and the Restless chops that he has there. So. I, I actually, I think, you know, I think we may be developing sort of a theory of television acting in that, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not the same per se, but I think that there's a lot of overlap between the tools an actor needs to be an effective soap opera actor and the tools an actor needs to be an effective uh, police procedural actor. Um, I think part of the, the idea in both cases is that the story tends to move really quickly because um, mm-hmm. the actors need to, like, convey – they need to convey things non-verbally really efficiently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and also that, like, there's sort of – you know, there's that high-level drama to it, too. Yes. So, like, really yes. anything can happen. Uh, and they don't have to control it. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, it doesn't even have to be realistic because, like, in this case, like, of course, serial murder is so, like, anything can happen. So, like, yeah. let's yeah. just make it happen, and then we'll deal with the consequences in a soap opera way. Um, right. But it's, I also think it's funny to, like, notice, like, the facial tics of, I mean, we're, I don't think we're, like, well enough into the series yet to notice the the facial tics of um, certain people, but... Uh, they're coming. Or maybe, I don't know. I mean, Gideon is certainly like a facial tick in himself. Yeah. But Gideon, uh, yeah. there is something Gideon, right. Um, but I also like to look at Hotch. Uh, I like to look at Hotch and, and think about something um, that I like to call Hotch face, which he has like 90, like 100% of the time is Hotch face. So he's, would you say that um, he has resting Hotch face? I would say he has resting Hotch face. Yes. Wait, this episode had not a lot yes. of Hotch, and I didn't miss him that much. I, like, oh, I spent no. a lot of stuff being like, what does Hotch do on this team? Maybe future episodes will clear that up for me. But I, was, I, like, I liked that there was more JJ. I liked that there was more L. But I was like, Hotch, mm-hmm. he's fine. No, no beef with Hotch. Right now it's like free-floating Hotch. He doesn't actually yeah. have, like, there's no anchor. Right. Um, he's just kind of floating, doing hotch face. Right. Um, okay, so to return to the story at hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the gang is waiting up all night for the killer to call. And if I recall correctly, Garcia is wearing this, like, amazing choker, like, 90s-style choker, that also has, like, plastic leaves hanging off of it. Because she's amazing, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's really constantly on point. Yep. So he does call. Right. He calls, uh, and he leaves, he says something very long and cryptic uh, that it was all about, same as his usual stuff. It was just nonsense, gibberish. (laughs) But Garcia cannot trace the call. Nope, she cannot. Well, shit, we have accomplished zero. Right. If you can't trace the call, then, like, we don't, fuck it. Like, we're... You know what? Just let him kill. Just let him kill. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. The BAU goes home and the story's over. Yep. That's it. You can't fix um, it. Sorry. I, I forgot to note that they also mention that this killer is probably under the thumb of a powerful woman. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's some rape apologist bullshit, to be perfectly honest. It is some rape apologist bullshit. It is. It is. Uh huh. <laughs> That's all I have to say. But like, like we, we have a shot of him and his, like, mom or whatever is yelling at him to keep the TV down. And it's like, oh, yeah. God, controlling women are what drives men to rape. Good. Uh-huh. Up. Yeah, it's, like, pretty low grade. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty – it is rape apologist shit. And it's also just, like, lazy writing, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's just – it's, it's not the best. Place. Like, oh, so the, my mom told me to turn the TV down once, so I raped someone. Like, come on, guys. Yep. They're in a car. And this is Morgan and Reed, right, in the car. Right. Well, we've got um, Dan and Elle in one car and Morgan and Reed right, in a, another car. Right. And I guess it's probably, what, Hotch and JJ in a third car, but I don't think we see them or spend time with them. They're not, yeah, I don't know where they are. They're not, it's unimportant, I guess. Um, okay, so do you want to start with Morgan and Reed? Um, mm-hmm. Because 
they, those two do not get along. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So they're in the car, and Morgan has, like, these binoculars. Yeah. Does he have the binoculars? I can't remember. Yeah. So he has these binoculars, uh, which, like, I don't, I don't really understand how you're trying to, like, stealthily stake out a neighborhood, and yet you have these binoculars. Right. Which are stupid, and also, like, how are they helping you? Like, how, why would you use them? What, I don't, I yeah. felt kind of, yeah. Okay, so Morgan has the binoculars, and then they start talking about finding, um, Morgan says that this is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yes, and that's says, right. It's like my favorite part. Reed says, actually, it's like looking for a needle, a needle in a pile in a of needles. Needle yeah, and, and Morgan looks at Reed like, up, Reed. I, I will kill you. Yeah, he's like, I'm entirely He's like, I hate you so much. much. <laughs> like, I Reed, I know you're a so genius, much. but have you not heard the expression needle in a haystack? Is that, like, unfamiliar to you in some way? Um, and then Reed just kind of, like, does this thing where he looks over to the side, like, my work here is done. And Morgan is like, I will kill you later. Um, which I just like this whole scene is like, you know, this is, this is their relationship, and maybe someday Morgan will kill Reed. Right, Ellen and Gideon are sitting in the car. Yeah. Um, and Gideon's staring um, at the telephone. Oh, because Gideon is also thinking about um, eyes a lot. Yeah. Like we're missing mm-hmm. something about the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he can't figure out what it is. Right. Um, and so they also, while they're parked there, like a cop um, <laughs> drives by and he's like, hey, what the fuck's your deal? And Gideon's like, we're FBI. And the cop goes, oh, cool, thank you. So at this point in the story, I don't know if this was the case for you, but I, like, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, it's definitely a cop who did it, right? Like, uh, yeah. I, I want to lay out my evidence for why I was convinced it was a cop, okay? Apart from the cop, mm-hmm. apart from the fact that I hate cops. Um, sure. They say it's someone who would be in the neighborhood without being noticed. And they mention yeah. that they have multi- they repeatedly increased the amount of police in the neighborhood. Um, they say that it's somebody probably with a company car. Mm. And they say it's somebody who resents rich people. And the first time we talked to a cop on this episode, he mentioned that all of the cops were taken off of breaks or vacations in order to patrol this rich neighborhood more. Oh, damn. So uh-huh. To me, uh-huh. all of that is like, it's obviously a cop. But it was not. Um, because... Gideon is looking at the two, these two CGI birds, and Ella's like, oh, is that uh, some kind of bird? And Gideon's like, you idiot. No, mm-hmm. it's this kind of bird. Because among all of his other uh, things, Gideon is an expert ornithologist. He's obsessed with birds, yeah. Yeah, I don't, think I, I don't think I was that interested for some reason in this episode, like, in who was doing it. I think I was more into, like, this whole... Um, thing about how, how things keep going on with Reed. That was, like, my compelling, like, stuff in this episode was, like, there yeah. keeps being all these, like, weird Reed moments um, that or, are yeah. maybe, yeah. But I, but I didn't notice that. And I wonder if that's, um, if a person who paid attention to that particular thing, if the writers were like, okay, so let's do this, like, um, what's it called? Uh, you know, like, look over here, and then we're going to go the other way. That was, like, purposely being set up so that they would do. Um, so then you were like, oh, my God, I'm so surprised. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. This is definitely a read-heavy episode. Yeah. Um, um, oh, so once yeah. once Gideon sees the birds, he does what, for me, I think, is my least favorite moment of this episode, which is mm-hmm. he goes back into the dead woman's house and lies down on the bed in the same posi- position that the dead woman was when she was raped and left for bed. Why? Right. Right. So I could have done that. Aren't you, like, aren't you not supposed to do that? Like, isn't that like tampering with a crime scene or some shit? Yeah, he doesn't care. Don't even worry about it. He does not care. Yeah, that was fucked up. I forgot that that happened. Um, Right, it's, and he does that so that he can see what she saw. Right. And, that's and then he's looking out at the window. And it's actually a, yeah. a telephone pole. A lineman all along. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we cut between 
uh, the gang trying to figure out what house the killer's at, and mm-hmm. um, the killer alone in the house with uh, his next victim. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they search for the neighborhood. They find, right, the truck from San Diego Bell, because this was 2005. This this whole scene with, this whole, I guess, like, um, parts of scenes with uh, the the cop, uh, not the cops, but, like, you know, the BAU has to, like, get there in time before this woman is murdered. Right. Um, and the sort of, like, the building of that and, like, seeing what was going on with the unsub and this person, this woman who thinks she's about to be murdered. And then Gideon, after they, like, bust in and, like, save the woman and stuff like that, there, this, there's this scene, there's this moment between, like, Gideon and the woman who's, I just have to call her the woman because I don't remember her what her name was, but that's just, like, I, just, like, really, like, uncomfortable is not the right word because it's so much more than uncomfortable, but I don't know. It was, it was like, one of those scenes in the show where I'm, like, oh, fuck. Like, I kind of think, I don't know if empathy is the right word. I mean, I've never been in the situation that this woman is in, but, like, Do you mean- I don't know. It was just really, it was, it was close. It's close is like the best word I can think of. Like watching her like freak the fuck out, um, and Gideon's like, "It's okay, it's okay, you know, it's okay." I was just like, "This is too real." This is like, yeah. It was, it was. I just wanted it to be faker in some way. I was like, "Oh my god, this is like it's close. It's just really close." Um. I yeah, I don't know what to say about it, but it was that's just like I was like, "Oh god, I'm really like this is really upsetting." Yeah, it was it was tough. I also I was not thrilled with Gideon petting her hair. No, right, right, right. I was like, you could right. you could probably do this without touching her after she has just been saved from being sexually assaulted. Yeah, or have like um, L have L be the one yes. to touch her. Yes. Um. Yes, indeed. L really should have got done lead on this. If, if you don't mind us backtracking a little bit, though. No, no, um, no, no, there's a couple no, no. things I wanted to note about this pursuit. Um, one was that when Gideon figures out where the killer is, he calls Hotch from inside the house to tell him the address. And it's like, you oh, guys right, need yes. group text is what you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, because this is not a, a viable system. Uh, not and effective. the other thing is just this little touch that uh, this one is Jewish. Um, there's a mezuzah on her bedroom door. What? I mean, okay. maybe I did not know that. That is Jewish, but there, there 100% is a mezuzah on her bedroom door. What? All right, Jews. Excellent. All right, Jews. All right, Jews. Um, I mean, Mandy Patinkin, a Jew. So. True. He's very good politics, um, also, apparently. Yeah, no, I know. I love Mandy Patinkin. He's wonderful. So here's what, something I really did like about um, how this uh, confrontation goes down. Mm-hmm. Is that Gideon successfully achieves a nonviolent de-escalation. And I feel like most real-life cops... No, I don't feel like... I know for a fact that most real-life cops would not even try. Um, sure, Gideon sure. succeeds. And I think that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like that Gideon's instinct is to try to resolve this without anybody getting hurt. I mean, obviously putting somebody yeah. in and doing violence against them, but, like, that's right. what we're watching. That is the show. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I just, I wonder, also, too, like, yeah. Uh, this is also uh, California, so he might get the death penalty. <sighs> True, right. That's interesting. I wonder if the de-escalation is supposed to make us remember that Gideon was in this thing where... Right. Um, he tried to de-escalate the situation and then someone died or six people died or whatever. Um, right. That's interesting. We should keep track of like when the situation gets non-violently de-escalated or whatever. Yeah. Um, successfully. And when people are just like, I'm going to shoot you, which, you know, happens a lot, but yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but, but he successfully does that. But yeah, he does. It's, it is kind of remarkable considering dude was like about to murder someone. <laughs> The creepy hair petting happens, and then they're back on the airplane. Um, and um, uh, Gideon and Reed are playing chess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I have uh-huh. a lot. I have a, I have a lot of notes about this game actually. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go first. About the whole scene or the end or what? Ma- mainly what goes on between Gideon and Reed in this scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know that I have a lot. Of, I don't have a lot of notes on that. I just think it's 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 funny. Uh, just so Gideon pulls out these. He says to Reed, "I got you a birthday present." Um, right. He gives him. Well, okay. He doesn't just say, "I got you a birthday present." <laughs> Um, what he says is, I forgot to give this to you, but here's I my I forgot question. to give this to you. It was Reed's birthday party. How do you forget to give mm. them the present that you have for them when you are at their birthday party? Like, Maybe was, he forgot. Was there something about the birthday party that didn't drive home to Gideon the fact that it was Reed's birthday? Maybe the birthday party was, like, really intensely organized, so there was, like, clearly a cake part and clearly a part where you give presents and they just didn't get to the present part because of a serial killer or Gideon was just like, I don't want to. Yeah. I, I have more questions than answers about the belated birthday present. But anyway, it's um, tickets to a football team by the Washington racists. Yes. Yes. And yes. Okay. I mean, so this the plan that Gideon has here is that uh, Reed will take um, JJ to a game because she's a big fan of the Washington Racers. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously this is gonna this is setting up some kind of thing between Reed and JJ, which like I had no idea anybody was looking for, but then here it is. Um, but what if JJ said no? What if she's like, I'm sorry, Reed. I don't care to date you for, you know, any number of reasons, among which, you know, we're coworkers, I'm an adult and you're basically a child, uh, you claim to be a genius but seem not to know really anything, um, or I'm busy that day, I have my own tickets yeah. to that game. Like, that mm-hmm. would have made this a terrible birthday gift to give to Reed. Reed, when he sees the tickets, mm-hmm. doesn't even know that it's a football team. He has no, no interest in seeing this football game unless he gets to fuck JJ at the game, presumably. Right. So if JJ right. said no to the game, it's just these tickets to a sports game that Reed has no interest in. Right. Right. Um, well, and I just realized, too, the other layer of, like, terribleness is that, like, Gideon is her boss. Yes. Gideon I didn't realize. I didn't boss. think about that. Yeah. Is their boss yeah. Yenta. Yeah. And now he's like, hey, Reed, I strongly recommend that you try to bang JJ by yeah. giving her these tickets. And by the way, I'm her boss. Like, it's just, right, shit. Yeah, this it's is a very horrible. strange choice. It's so strange. Right. Um, and then right before Reed gets up to go sit next to JJ on an airplane and ask her if he, if she wants to go to a football game with him, mm-hmm. Reed gets Gideon in checkmate, which shocks yeah. me. He's shocked. He's so shocked. And then we have, like, the dulcet tones of Jackson Brown to bring mm-hmm. up, to, to escort Reed to his seat next to JJ. Right, and Gideon yeah. gives, like, a serene look to the chessboard, like, now that yeah. uh, now that Reed is 24 or whatever, he can finally be yeah. in the chest. Yeah. And he gets to have sex yeah, with my employees. I think it's weird that they, like, matched up an episode about a man killing women with an episode mm-hmm. about Reed coming into adulthood in a few ways. Right. It is, yeah, it's an interesting parallel that's not... That, I don't know. Is that supposed to be a parallel, writers? What were you? What are you thinking here? What are you? I, I, have, I have no idea. I, mean, I don't think it was a deliberate parallel. It's just like I. Well, I think if you're going to do an episode about a boy becoming a man, it can be an episode that's not about sexual assault. Right. Right. But you right, know, or like creepily your. No, it is. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it was right. So. It can also helpfully not involve workplace sexual harassment. <laughs> right. But back in 2005, we didn't. 
No, Back in didn't. 2005, didn't. Gideon didn't even know how to do a group text. No. No. And also, like, the dudes who are the most in charge, like, like, Reed and Gideon are in charge of, like, this dating slash potentially sexual situation. Not Hotch, who's, like, married to an actual woman, or Morgan, right. who, like, has this reputation for, like, I mean, he's Shamar Moore. Right. He has like, a reputation for sleeping with hot technicians. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, or not, or not sleeping with them. Um, they're not involved in this at all. It's, like, the two inarguably most socially inept people. Well, certainly, I, I think you can pretty comfortably call them sexless. Um, like, right. I mean, you know, I, I'm not trying to, like, make these, like, broad judgments or anything, but, like, neither of them has even flirted with anybody in the entire show, right? Like, Morgan flirts plenty, Hotch is married, and his wife is pregnant. Right. Um, but, like, Gideon is, like, the, the kindly uncle to everyone he meets. Right, it's and, true. Uh, and Reed is, like, the obnoxious child to everyone he meets. He is. Anyway, so if the next episode doesn't open no, with Reed sure. and JJ in bed after a mm. I will be furious. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a parallel that I can draw between this episode and another show, but I don't think yeah. it's fair to do it because, because uh, it's a spoiler. So next time I will tell you the, spoil- the thing I'm thinking about this show and another program that Okay, don't forget to do that, because I'll be really mad at you, too. Okay. Great. Uh, Okay, so next week is, or next episode, is 1-5, and it's, I think it's Broken Mirror, is that? Oh, yes, next week is Broken Mirror, um, which, I mean, I don't know how much you want to say about it. uh, where, Where are we going for this episode? We're going to, I believe, I think we're going to Connecticut. Are they going to solve Paul Newman's murder? <laughs> yes, they are. In fact, that is the only spoiler available is Paul Newman. That they solve Paul Newman's murder. All right. Well, yes. great. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, actually, uh, the episode was written by a woman. And I haven't nice. been keeping track of. Yeah, I haven't been keeping track of who has been writing the episodes, but we can go back and check. Yeah, last this past episode was written by Edward Allen Bernero, who's a showrunner. The episode before that was written by Aaron Delman, a Jew. Um, oh. I know. And then the week before that, I think this might be our first episode that was written by, yep, Jeff Davis was wrote one, two. Um, and the first episode... Also Jeff Davis. Yeah, so this is the first episode we're going to see if it was written by a lady. Nice. So that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you once again for joining us with Unsub Pod, the Unsub Podcast. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk to you soon about this show and other things. Yeah. Find us on Twitter at Unsub Pod. And, and until next time, goodbye forever. <laughs> forever. Bye, everybody. Thanks.